Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. I was surprised to learn that Sapphire, who is singing this song, Thinking of You from 1989, she's performing tonight at Mohegan Sun. So for those of you who are interested in something to do a little later tonight, show starts at 8. It's a program called Freestyle for All, and she'll be there with Expose, Lisa Lisa, Brenda K. Starr. I was also surprised to see Rockwell. Somebody's watching me, you know that song. He'll be there as well, so Freestyle for All, and they're playing at the Mohegan Sun Arena. It's my understanding that some tickets are still available for that, and so I uh, I love that song, Thinking of You. A nice, um, it's emotional, you know me. I like emotional songs and music and uh, all of that, and so I had to tease that for tonight's show at Mohegan Sun, Sapphire, Thinking of You. And I'm thinking of somebody right now, and uh, an old classmate of mine, and her name was Paige Houston. I think I've mentioned her before on the program here on WTIC and also um, other radio work that I have done. And her mother, Michelle Houston, is on the line with us. Michelle, hello and welcome to the program, and good Saturday afternoon to you. And it's to you as well, and thank you so much for having me on the program. Really happy to have you on the show. Is this your first time on the radio, Michelle? I I spoke one other time through your show with a medium. That's right. That's right. That was, um, yeah, so. I forgot about that. That would have been, what, four years ago or so? Yes. It's a good thing to have you back on the show, and I'm glad to have you here. And we're going to be talking about something serious, but also um, positive as well. Um, your daughter Paige had passed away in a tragic crash, and I had been friends with her for, and I thought about this the other day, only about five years, met her in middle school, and uh, and this crash happened at the end of high school. And Michelle, um, you know, those five years or six years that we had been friends and were in touch with one another, we had a great friendship, and uh, and it changed my life for sure. It's hard to think back sometimes that long ago in my life, um, but I have fond memories, that's for sure. Ah, uh, that's wonderful. Very fond of you. I also drove her crazy too. I drive everybody crazy. That's uh, that's just me. You'd admit that, I'm sure. Uh, no, she she adored you, and she was just a bright light. And I know I'm her mom, but she could walk into a room and smile, and she just lit up the whole place. The reason we're talking today, Michelle, is because at the end of this month, that would be Saturday, October twenty eighth, twenty twenty three. It's the annual event to benefit the Paige Houston Memorial Scholarship Fund, which goes to graduating students at Ram High School in Hebron. And I know you've been working very hard to prepare for this upcoming event, as you do every year. Well, it's been a while because of COVID, so we finally are back in the swing of it. Um, but we did continue to give the scholarships out and your graduating class was the first year because she was killed just yes she was killed just prior to your senior year you have been um, in a group we, called impact and you've been speaking about this at driving schools and you have been going across the state and trying to educate people on what happened and also how to prevent accidents like this from happening again and you're very vocal about that could you open up about what happened august 6 2013 um, absolutely. So Paige was at a party and there was a, the house and the party were across the street from one another. So the, um, 
she, her car was parked up by the house, and she was started walking down the driveway to go towards her car, and a boy picked her up and said, get in. He had a Toyota Tundra, and there were four people in that car, including the driver. He drove out that driveway, and instead of turning up the other driveway to go to her car, he kept going, and he just picked up speed. Now, mind you, here he was drunk, um, high levels of alcohol uh, for a 17-year-old, let alone an adult. And there were drugs involved, and he kept going, and he lost control outside of Blackledge Country Club on West Street. And just before he lost control, Paige had taken her seatbelt off. She was sitting behind him and demanded that he stop the car. Well, he lost control. He hit a tree, and she was ejected out the back window, and she her head was crushed. She was thrown 75 feet, and her head was crushed from a stone wall. Michelle, when you so, tell this story, how do you maintain such composure? And, and you're telling um, high schoolers and you're telling young drivers all about this story and with a lesson in mind, too. Well, when they see me, because I do work at the high school, they see me. They don't know because it's been years out. There's very few maybe that are uh, siblings of Paige's friends or my son's friends that may know, but they don't know that the cheer uniform hanging in the gym in a shadow box was pages. And when I speak to them at, I, I'm very grateful to the administration at Ram. They allow me to speak at their graduation practice and I present the scholarships then. And these kids are amazing. There's usually not a dry eye in the house and it becomes very real to them because they, I'm a real person. I'm not just someone that they're hearing about. And Paige was a real person. So it, it really hits home. And, and they're very, they're, and it's funny, it's usually the boys that are, are the most sensitive to it. And really, just, it's unbelievable. They just don't want to see me hurting. And I said, they always say it shouldn't happen to you. I said, it shouldn't happen to anybody. Uh, no one should lose a child and especially in something that is so avoidable. There's no reason, and especially in this day and age, with Uber and there's so many people who could just give a ride. And I always tell the students, if you need a ride, you call me, because my number is out there. And if I can't do it, I will get you home. I remember I you said that 10 years ago. You've been saying it ever since. Yeah, and if parents get mad, I'll tell you what. I'm sitting at the cemetery right now. They get mad? Right they get mad? If parents, if, no, if parents get mad that their child is coming home or getting a ride home because they're impaired, because no, nobody's perfect. And in a perfect world, no, the kids wouldn't drink or do things they shouldn't. But reality is I would rather see them get home safe and I would talk to their parents because I'm, as I just was saying, I'm sitting at the cemetery right now talking to you and I would much rather be out shopping or visiting her at her apartment or home and her her friends are lots of her friends have gotten married or having babies and you know I, I'll never experience that with a daughter 
um, I will. A, a daughter, a son is a son till he takes a wife. A daughter is a daughter for life. And losing my only daughter was just absolutely devastating for my whole family. And my boys lost their best friend. And she was very, very good to her brothers. And she was cheerleader. Always had. Well, you know how she was a little, a little salty sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where she gets it from. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Michelle. <laughs> but, you know, I try to have that attitude, that cheerleader attitude. I used to be a cheerleader back in the day. I, I coached her, but I can't. It, I have a family to live for, and they need me because it's so easy to just just lay in bed. And, and, the, and I did for a long time. I I couldn't get out of bed and you know it it was devastating i want to and thank you like publicly I, michelle I, just hang on for a second because uh you mentioned sure. that uh in the six months to a year after Paige had passed away and like i had told you uh i was friends with her for a number of years um but right after that you know i, I didn't know what to think about what had happened and i didn't know um how to get back on track with my life i was bothered by it and you did something that I thought was just so noble, and I, I couldn't believe that you did it. I still can't. But you invited me over. You probably remember this. And you invited me over to your house about six months after Paige had passed away. And you were very real with me. You said that just a few minutes ago on our program here. And this is a serious conversation. You said to me, uh, you told me what had happened. I really hadn't heard the full story. Uh, you told me what Paige had thought about me, returned some items to me, and we just shared some memories. But that was probably the most healing thing in my dealing with the grief from this. And uh, and I think that you did this with other people as well, because it was a community effort in this healing process. Oh, it was unbelievable. There were 5,000 people at her wake, and thank goodness we were able to have it at the church, because I don't know any funeral home that could support that. And just the the ongoing support that our family gets is what really helps me with healing. I will never, there's always going to be a, a pain in my heart and a pit in my stomach. And, but for every tear I shed, I could smile 10 times thinking about her voice, her just being with her and how bubbly she was for the most part. <laughs> We all have our moments, but she just really was a true brightness in, in the world. And, and your poor graduating class that year suffered three losses. Right. Um, you, you lost your, your teacher. The first she lost Paige, you lost a teacher, and then you lost another fellow classmate. And, I mean, that was to icy conditions on the way to school, but... You know, it's just devastating. And what your class went through, no no kids should go through that. And my grandpa passed away right in the middle of all of that. So it was a very sad time. In the years since then, Michelle, you've kept up with the Paige Houston Memorial Scholarship, which started the year after Paige had passed away. And I want to go back to that moment when it was being founded and organized. And what were the goals that you were setting for the scholarship? Well, it's very important to me to get the message out about drinking and driving and use of drugs. And 
I don't care if you're a kid or an adult, it, if you are under the influence, you're not in control. And people think they are, but they're not. And I, if, I, if I could speak and save even one child, then, then my work is done. But I've saved my, many more. I've been walking through the mall before, and students from a high school that I spoke at came up to me and said, I, I'm so-and-so from Parish Hill High School, and I want to thank you for speaking. I, and they had tears, two boys, tears. This is when he introduced his brother. I will never get in the car, and I will never let anybody get in the car impaired. So wow. that mattered to me. Wow. And people reach out. They're very supportive. And, and even the students, the recipients, we give out, um, we used to give out three. And, you know, since COVID happened, we give out two $1,000 scholarships. And anybody can apply. We, my family does not personally pick it. I leave it up to the, um, the school to pick. And the recipients, the letters that I've gotten, even recently, I got a letter from a recipient from 2017 just saying how they want to help and give back now that they're, you know, a little more established. And because there's a lot of students that want to give me some of the money back to put towards the next scholarship. But I said, no, when you graduate college and you get established, then if you want to contribute, you can. And, and these these young people do. And just to have that message. I mean, you, you knew her. She's, of course, my beautiful daughter. Yes. And it was just awful. It was devastating that that night when that phone rang, and I found out from one of her friends who found out on Twitter. I didn't have a, a officer at my house, and I, I knew where she was, so I, I, and my son, my youngest son, was up with me. And I said, I have to go find Paige. Well, of course, I went upstairs to tell my husband at the time. And I said, Paige has been in an accident. We didn't know that she was gone. And then I had to wake up my older son because my younger son demanded that he come. And I couldn't leave the older one home. And God forbid his phone start blowing up with, uh, and find out on social media and not have his family home. So when I drove down... Martin Road, I got to the intersection of Martin Road and West Street, and the road was um, blocked. And I'll never forget the fire marshal was standing there, and he was just stone-faced. He, everybody knew our family. My, my father-in-law and mother-in-law used to own a Hebron pharmacy, and he knew everybody in town, and he, he couldn't even look at me. And I said, my daughter was in an accident. I need to see her. And then finally a trooper came up and he said, just wait here. Let me get the trooper who was here at the scene. And when he walked up to me and he removed his hat, I'll never forget it. I'm Morgan Cunningham and this is Spotlight Connecticut. We do have to take a break, Michelle. I hate to cut it off here. But when we get back, she's going to continue talking a little bit more about the Paige Houston Memorial Scholarship Fund, the event that is coming up in two weeks to help benefit it, money for a very good cause. 
This is WTIC in Hartford. Hey everybody, this is Jimmy Bell. I play lead guitar for Autograph and House of Lords. I'm from Wethersfield, Connecticut, and I am listening to Spotlight Connecticut with my good buddy Morgan Cunningham. Michelle Houston's on the show this week talking about the Paige Houston Memorial Scholarship Fund. And Michelle, uh, you know, she's been very real with the story and the background as to why this scholarship fund actually exists and how we are keeping it going 10 years after Paige's death. And um, Michelle, I just want to go through before the bottom of the hour here, just some of the basic information. What time is this event going to happen on Saturday, October 28th, Michelle? So it starts at 5.30, and it's at Blackledge Country Club on West Street in Hebron. I think it's 180 West Street. And you, everything is purchased through Blackledge's website, which is Blackledge CC. Net. And when you click on their web page, you go to the online store and you scroll down and you'll see a picture of my beautiful angel and it's the scholarship dinner and it gives you um, – Dave Sidlowski is playing. He's a fantastic musician. There are – there's a buffet dinner, I believe salmon and a chicken, some rice, mixed vegetables, or of course cheese and crackers, salad – and then a friend of mine is making all the desserts for the event. So we're trying to get raffle items donated. Um, and, of course, we'd love to see everybody come out and support this cause. I, I want to keep it going. And the more money we make, we I also like to give back to the community as far as Hebron Interfaith and over Hebron Marble Youth Services and just keep this going. Michelle, I'm really glad that you were able to come on the show today. And again, is there anything else in the next 30 seconds or so before we have to break again that you want to get out to the public? I just, I hope that someone from the driver's family is listening, and I want him to know it's very important that I forgive him. I, I, bad choices were made all around, and... I wish him all the best, and I hope he has a good life because it must be tough for him to live with what happened as well. I'm Morgan Cunningham on Spotlight Connecticut, our guest in this first half, Michelle Houston, talking about the Paige Houston Memorial Scholarship Fund. And again, check out more information online at the Blackledge Country Club Saturday, October 28th. It will be here before you know it in the next two weeks. We'll be back on WTIC. Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. We are going to transition the conversation this week on Spotlight Connecticut. In the second half, we're going to be talking about movies, specifically a movie theater that has gone away down in New Haven as of Thursday, the Bowtie Criterion Cinemas on Temple Street. But before we make that transition, I just want to thank Michelle Houston for coming on. I know that that is somewhat abnormal programming on Spotlight Connecticut in that it is so serious, but... I thought it was important to get the word out for the Paige Houston Memorial Scholarship Fund. Remember, that event is at the Blackledge Country Club in Hebron on Saturday, October 28th, 2023. We'll really be here before you know it. And for more information on tickets for that event and the fundraiser, go to blackledgecc.net. Blackledgecc.net. And if you would like to connect with me online, you can do that. Find me on Facebook at MC News Talk, 
is my handle there. Also on Twitter. More active on Facebook than I am on Twitter. But uh, you can find me either place at MC News Talk or email me. Long-winded email address, I know, so get ready for it if you'd like to send me an email. And it could even be with a show topic idea. Maybe you want to respond to today's program. If you did not get the information you needed to about the fundraiser at the end of the month, I can send it to you. Morgan.Cunningham at odyssey.com. A-U-D-A-C-Y, Morgan.Cunningham at odyssey.com. Now, here's a guy I used to work with. His name is Kevin Wilkes. And... um, You know, we used to work somewhere else, but for a number of years, I think about four or five years, he worked at a movie theater called the Bowtie Criterion Cinemas on Temple Street in New Haven. And those theaters went bye-bye as of Thursday this week. And I just want to talk with him all about that. So here he is, Kevin Wilkes, but I had other names for him too. Kevin F. Wilkes, K-Dubs, K-Double-Boo, only on Halloween. Lots of silly names, Kevin. I know, and I think you came up with a different one almost every other week. I'm good at that. Yeah, you're creative. Most people who work with me know that. And what's more terrifying is most of the names stick. Mm-hmm. All right, Kevin. Well, in the early 2000s, you were working in the movies. That's right. I worked down in New Haven at the Bowtie Criterion Theater from about, I believe, 2000, early, mid-2004 to about 2008, right before I got into radio. It's my understanding in 2004 they actually were brand new, so you were there from the ground up. Yeah, I started working there. I think they'd been open a month when I started. Take me back to that point in life of your life, if you could, Kevin. What was your life like in those days? Were you in college? Were you out of college? What was your life like? No, I had finished college. I just finished up, and I was actually saving up money to go to broadcast school to get into radio and one of my my main hobby is really just going to the movies that's kind of what i do in my free time i read this uh rare book or i watch a lot of tv or go to the movies i mean this year so far i think i've seen 79 so i just started working in you know i'm out of college i'm trying to save up to go to you know the broadcast school to learn how to actually do your job and my job and uh, I just, what do I like to do? What do I want to do to pass, not pass the time, but to fill my time till I can get into school and get into the business? So I was like, well, I like the movies. I'll go work at a movie theater. Sometimes and in life, were, Kevin, it's great when you can find that job that matches a hobby. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I was watching the news one day at home, and I saw the a piece about them opening that, and one of my parents turned to me and was like, hey, you should apply there. I'm like, yeah, okay, I will. And then about three or four days later, they called me, went down for an interview, started probably a month later. It's not that far from where you live, is it? No, I actually clocked it once. The spot I usually parked in was about it was exactly 12 miles. Oh, that's not bad at all. Not bad at all. Nope. Not at all. What was it like as a movie fan and working at a theater? Was it active? It was. The funny thing about working in a movie theater then was that everything was still on film. Like, if you go to a movie theater now, they're all digital projectors where the movie's either on... I'll pull the curtain back. The movie's either on a high-definition Blu-ray or it's on a hard drive. Back then, it was these giant canisters of film that we would have to go and, like, basically tape together and spool on the projector. Um, When the Criterion first opened, from what I can recall, it was a lot more indie movies. There weren't any big blockbusters there. This is obviously about five years before the whole Marvel thing started. 
but it was a lot of independent movies. That's really what they kind of specialized in at the start. Like before I was an employee there, I actually went to it to, to see a movie. I don't remember what movie it was, but I remember I walked up to the box office and the woman looked up and said, you want two for sideways? And I was like, no, <laughs> sideways was a movie directed by Alexander Payne starring Paul Giamatti and Tom Hayden, Thomas Hayden church. It was about guys drinking wine and having misadventures in Sonoma. And that was like the biggest movie there when it first opened. It was like all anyone went to see, as you can tell by just walking to the box office, they asked if you wanted tickets to it. I'm surprised at how everything in those days was on film. This is 2004. I figured that it would have been more advanced. No, everything at all at the time when it opened, there's, uh, let me check my memory banks. <laughs> when it opened, there were five theaters there. They've since expanded to nine but all five were on film. I remember because those canisters, depending on how long the movie is, there could be three or four canisters of film you had to carry from the front of the place up the stairs into the projector booths. Must have been heavy, too. They were. Like, there was one movie by a director named Terrence Malick called The Tree of Life. And I think it was just a little over three hours, and there was about five cans of film for that. And the theater that I was in had a lot of stairs. What were your other duties other than working with the film directly and keeping the movie going for moviegoers? Were you just able to kind of sit back and enjoy the films? Yeah, it just depended on what you were doing that day. Like when I started there, I was in concessions, you know, serving drinks and popcorn and candy and stuff. Eventually after that, I moved into the box office. And then a couple of times I got to help them set up the films and all that stuff. But I, almost everyone started as in concession or as an usher. What was attendance like in those days? You're looking out there into the theater, and how many people are you seeing? Or were there rows of people lined up outside the theater trying to get in? That can happen. It really depends on what you're showing. Like I said earlier, Sideways was a huge hit for that place when it first opened. The biggest one that when I was there was the movie Borat, starring Sasha Baron Cohen, where he played a Kazakhstani journalist. And there were legit lines out of the door, like down the street for people trying to get in to see that. That was a massive hit for them. I think that was probably the movie that started slowly transitioning the theater from showing a lot more independent movies into big mainstream ones. So did they end up getting some kind of a deal with AMC, Warner Brothers, anything like that, that shifted their transition from indie to more mainstream movies? No, I think it just came down to the people running the theater saw that, you know, there's a lot more money to be made showing big studio blockbusters versus smaller independent movies. They still have smaller independent ones and big blockbusters. Like last year, for example, the movie that won Best Picture, Everything Everywhere All at Once, played there almost for a year straight from what I heard. But then they also still have, you know, the big new movies that are out now, like the new Exorcist one you talked about. Did you make a lot of friends there? Were there a lot of people on staff? Oh, yeah. It had a really big staff at one point. I mean, on a Friday or Saturday night, if we're talking a busy one, there was two people in the box office. There was three to five people in concessions, depending on if the bar was open, because as movie, as movie theaters nowadays, they all have bars. And then there would be a ticket taker, two, three ushers. Yeah. Oh, so that's a pretty good crew. Yeah. Did you really, work, like, afternoons, nights, you did all the shifts? I did it all. I was there Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., and I was 
sometimes there Friday and Saturday nights till one, two in the morning. Wow. Wow. What a life you used to lead. Oh yeah. <laughs> Crazy Kevin. I'm talking with Kevin Wilkes. He used to work at the Bowtie Criterion Theaters in New Haven, which as of Thursday this week has officially closed. And we'll talk about that in a second. But Kevin, what I want to ask you is if you think back to those days working in the theater, you know, it's always been talked about in the movies that, you know, you can't bring in outside snacks and drinks and so on. So did anybody ever get busted to the best of your recollection? Oh, all the time. All the time. It just, my rule, this was just me. Some people were more sticklers about it. If you saw someone bringing something in and they had, and it wasn't like something that was going to cause a big mess, it was fine. But as soon as you caught a big mess or I caught a big mess cleaning the theaters from outside food, that was it. Nobody was bringing anything outside in at all. What would happen if somebody got busted? You would tell them to throw it out. I mean, you would just, you can't bring that in here. That's all you'd say. You can't bring it in here, and if they argued a bunch about it, then you would just get the manager. I was <laughs> going to say, did this end job. up in, you know, the police showing up and dragging people out, none of that? I mean, not while I was there that I can remember we ever had to call the police on anyone. I know police were called on people at times because, like you said, it's in it was in downtown New Haven, and sometimes late at night on a Friday or a Saturday, the crowds down there can get a little rowdy. Get a little wild. Mm-hmm. Is there something about working in the movie industry – in some capacity at that time that maybe people wouldn't know about as just an average lay person? I think the thing people don't realize about people who work in movie theaters is how hard it can actually be because you'd think you just show up in the afternoon and you walk up and you get your food and you go sit down and leave just for you to get in the door. There has um, all the food's got to be made. Nowadays they have, you know, actual like hot dogs and pizzas and stuff in some theaters, but you know, the popcorn is a lot more complicated to make than you think. You, First of all, they come in these giant, like, 30 to 40-pound bags of just kernels. So you have to be able to carry that, and you have to be able to make it, which is relatively easy if you show someone how to do it. And then you got to clean the soda machines. Those things can be a real pain. And then it's cleaning the theaters. You would not believe some of the messes people make. <laughs> what about the messes do you recall? Um, well, there were some people who would just, Pour. It looked like they poured complete, like large sodas on the ground and cover it with popcorn. Oh God! And yeah, and just to be honest, when you're an usher in a movie theater, you don't really have more than like a broom and a look kind of like a dustpan to sweep things up. So if it's like a liquid on the ground and you can't really sweep uh, sweep it up, it's just going to be there till after you close and the cleaning crew comes in at night to clean everything. So I feel bad for whoever is going to be cleaning up the theater and ripping out all the carpet. Lord knows what they'll find. Oh, underneath that carpet's going to be a lot of memories, I think. Ooh, (laughs) that's a good way to put it, Kevin. Memories. Uh, Yeah. Memories. (laughs) Don't make me sing. Don't make me sing, K-Dubs. Okay. I won't make you sing, I promise. What is leading to this closure, do you think? I know that they're saying that they want to take it in a different entertainment venue direction, Um, But it seems to me that there's a reflection of a big change in how Americans are consuming movies these days. I know you still go to see movies, but there are times that I know because you've told me you're the only person there in the theater. Yeah, I think I think part of it was probably the pandemic because people got much more comfortable just watching everything at home, I think, is one thing. Because I know there's a lot of movies I would have liked to see in theaters. But I'm like, yeah, I'll just wait till it ends up on streaming. 
And I think another thing is the price. You can't you can't argue against that. I mean, movies are expensive unless unless you have like a subscription plan or you're part of one of the movie clubs that the various chains have. Because to get into a movie on like let's say a Saturday night is going to be depending on the format. Like if it's a large format screen or if it's in 3D or something, it could be anywhere from thirteen dollars to thirty dollars for one ticket. Wow. Yeah, and some people don't want to just go to a movie. They have to have a snack with them. So, I mean, my generic movie theater snack order is a bottle of water, a thing of nachos, and one thing of candy. That's usually about 22 bucks. Forgive me for sounding like an old man, but I hate to say back in my day, but back in my day it was not that expensive. No. It just, I don't know, movies, the prices to make the budgets to make movies has gone up extremely high, and that's eventually trickles down to the movie theaters i would assume because when you make a movie like you know one of the um avengers movies avengers infinity war let's say and it costs like 300 million dollars to make that movie you that price has to be trickled down to the people who go to see it granted that movie made like a billion dollars but it's going to happen when movie the price the budgets to make movies keep going up and up it's going to come down on the average person and when the movies make that kind of revenue, is it because of streaming? Is it because of people going to theaters? I think it's a it's a lot of factors. Ticket sales at the box office are a big one, but also there is if the studio that made the movie doesn't have their own streaming service, like if it's not a Warner Brothers movie or like a what's another streaming service or one Netflix has made, then they could sell that movie to one of those services and make some money there. But the majority of it now is box office and selling it to a streaming company. That's why you don't see a lot of kind of mid-level, like thirty to forty million dollar budget movies that much anymore. Because if they don't make that much at the box office, the only way they could recoup is to sell it to somewhere. Crazy. They say that it's going to come back. This site that is as some kind of a new entertainment venue. Any idea what they could do there? They have to do something with the ground level, whether. They like maybe cut it back down to maybe three or four theaters and put like a big bar in it or turn it into more apartments because there's apartments above the movie theater. I don't know. I hope they do something with it, though. It's a good spot. You do hang out a lot in New Haven. So if you were going down there for entertainment, maybe for someone listening who used to go to the Bowtie Criterion Theaters in New Haven but no longer can. So is there anything that you would recommend to the average Joe looking for something to do down in New Haven? Well, the, that specific area has a plethora of different types of restaurants. I mean, right across the street from where the Criterion used to be, there's a very good sushi restaurant. There's a couple of good bars up the street. Um, if you walk over two blocks, the uh, Shoebird is right there, which is a really great venue for plays and concerts and stuff. College Street Music Hall is then right across the street from the Schubert, uh Louis Lunch, the place that created the hamburgers right down the road from it. Louis Lunch, that's a whole show in itself, as we say. Rip, rest in peace to the Bowtie Criterion on Temple Street in New Haven. Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham.